Warning, we can have democracy in this country, or we can have a great deal of wealth concentrated in a few hands in this country, but we can't have both. That was U.S. Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to the Seriously Wrong Podcast. I am your co-host, Sean. And I am the other co-host, Aaron. As all of you know, we're brothers. I'm Aaron Wrong, Sean Wrong, we're the Wrong Bros, and our dad, Papa Wrong. Old Man Wrong is Old been Man Wrong, very sick. Sick for quite some time. He's the person Wrong Town is named after. He started the Wrong Town Rail Service. He started the Wrong Electricity Company. He made some incredible investments at just the right time. He's the wealthiest man in Wrong Town. And- so he died. He was very sick and he's, he's yeah, died. He's passed he's died. away. His net worth when he died was $100 million. Which in wrong town dollars, that's quite a bit. <sighs> I'm always going to miss that generous old guy and his generosity really knows no bounds. Yeah, yeah. He was born in nothing just like me. Maybe just for a little context, we could play the tape of we recently, since last recording, we had the will reading. I was really excited for the will reading. And so I thought, hey, I'm going to bring the mics in. Capture this moment. And, you know, I'm really glad we did because I think it was the right choice. I think a lot of right choices were made in the will process. Um, But let's maybe we should should roll the tape. Oh, man, wrong is dead. Oh, I'm going to miss that guy, but... I don't know he could have been there a little more for us. Yeah. Yeah, he worked a little too much. But he whatever. worked because he wanted to provide a future for his sons. And I mean, like, yeah, he was distant, but to be fair, you were the one who broke off all contact seven years ago. He let me down so many times that it was like, why am I throwing the love of a son down a hole? Yeah, I just think you gotta you gotta be there for your family. Let's never let this, this yeah, guy get agree. between us. Let's agree. Whatever's in this will, it won't come between us. I mean, I, I know what I'm in for. All right, so I'll open the envelope, unfold the paper, and dearest sons, to my firstborn, Sean, I leave... of my fortune. 99 point, is that, are we sure there's not, no typo? And to my younger son, Aaron, I leave 0.01% of my fortune. Just gonna, my calculator here. How much is that? That means you'll be getting 99,990,000 and I'll be getting... 10,000. Huh. Lawyer, is this legally binding? Yeah, like is there now? Any way we could contest this, make it more it's fair? It's 100% legally binding. Maybe dad wasn't of sound mind at the end. Oh, he had medical tests done? Huh. I don't know what to say, but... Yeah, I don't know what to say either. I, I, my dad... Uh, <laughs> I was kind of relying on getting a decent inheritance, $10,000. I'm going barely cover all my debts. Well, I mean, covering all your debts is not nothing. Yeah, that's true. It is not nothing. Yeah. So that's good. Good for you. Maybe we'll, maybe let's go into business together. Let's, I don't uh, know. Uh, uh, I don't know. Money between family members? I'll flag that with maybe for later and we'll touch base later on after it's all kind of sunk in. So yeah, that was the recording of what happened in the Will room. It's just weird to hear what a difference the kind of worldliness I've been able to take on in the last eight days. The responsibility that I've stepped up to, the sort of burden I've taken on, and really just be fully a servant of humanity. 
There's a few changes in the studio as well. Ashan's built yes. himself a private booth. I can see him through some glass, but he's not looking at me. Mm -hmm. I can see him on the screen here. I've got a couple cameras set up, so I can actually see him from a few angles. And it's definitely helping me record, especially the air conditioning. But it's not only air conditioned, but heated seats. And that's, that's one of the ways that I'm making sure that I'm at the top of my game. And that's for the listeners. I was wondering, could that wait staff bring me any... Do you have any leftovers? I saw them bringing a lot of food in there. You couldn't have eaten all that. I am saving... Some of it for later, Aaron. But yeah, I guess you could have... Here, I'll slide out. I hope you don't mind. I started eating this macaroni, but then I decided it wasn't good enough. So you could have it. Okay. It's uh, yeah, I like macaroni. macaroni. It's, yeah. Oh, it is a little burnt. You could eat around that. That's what I would recommend. I mean, I'm not telling you how to live your life, but yeah, you could eat around the burnt that. macaroni, in my opinion. So I was just thinking, you know how we've often talked about how the irradiated shantytown is Wrongtown's biggest shame. Oh, yeah. No, it's just it's terrible. It's pitiful and the way they live their lives there. There's a lack of political action to making that place habitable again, building social mm -hmm. housing. And and I was just thinking, hey, you got this $99 million. You know, I'll definitely look into it. I'll talk to my accountant. A lot of my money's in capital flows right now. So dipping into that cash might not be what dad wanted. What if you just give me half? Give me $45 million. I think that's what dad really wanted. Oh my God. Can you imagine? This is wild. I'll go talk to my accountant. I'm just kidding. My accountant would never, ever allow that to happen. I've got too many hot investments right now. Yeah, well, I guess we just won't let it get between us then. Michael Jackson said, if you want to make a change in the world, look at the man in the mirror. I think Michael Jackson was right. Okay. Jeez. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm wrong. You're wrong. She's wrong. He's wrong. I'm wrong. You're wrong. She's wrong. He's wrong. We're wrong. We're wrong. Seriously wrong. Seriously wrong. Which do you like better, equality or inequality? Hmm. Well, in order to be perfectly consistent as someone who is going to pick equality, I need to like both of them equal because liking equality means that you need to like absolute equality between all things at all times. So in this case, I have an equal feeling between equality and inequality, and that's consistent with my values. If I had just picked equality, I think I'd be a bit of a hypocrite. Hypocrite, right. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> They applaud you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, what, what would you choose between the two? I think I would choose inequality. Oh, that's super morally consistent also. <laughs> it is. <laughs> because, okay, like sliding out of irony. I don't know. I, I actually don't know how much I like the equality, inequality framing, even though I like inequality framing because equality, like you just demonstrated, it, it has this sort of reductio ad absurdum element to it, whereas like defining what equality means yeah. becomes impossible and absurd. Well, it doesn't, it's not impossible and absurd so much as people want to like completely interpret it in the worst faith imaginable well, yeah. as, as part of like a type of sophistry. Yeah, no, I mean, that definitely happens. But like, I was trying yesterday for not very long, honestly, like five minutes. But I was like, hey, what is what does equality look like? What what does that mean? When we talk about income inequality, we point to, you know, some people make this much per year. Some people make this. So are we, when we're talking about equality, we're we talking about everyone getting the same amount of dollars in their bank account every year. No. Like, do we factor in cost of living? Defining what exactly equality would look like actually is really hard. 
Yeah, I guess right now I feel like it's really, really easy, but that's probably because I spent all morning reading like (laughs) reports about global income inequality. Right, right. So my mind is very much full with what the problem is. So I I know Mm -hmm. what it looks like when the problem's gone, or at least I can kind of see the path there. I also kind of buy into the argument that some inequality is beneficial in like motivational aspects like we should all have enough i just want to say that up front like i don't think it's beneficial to have a situation where people can't feed themselves in order to motivate them that's just cruel but i do think like when we're playing the game of running a society that there being some benefit to being very productive or winning in some ways is a good thing so having some inequality is I think beneficial and I'm not sure what equality looks like, but I am sure what massive (laughs) detrimental global systemic inequality looks like. Inequality, unlike equality, is actually like very easy to define and like easy to put a number on to see how bad it is. There's like lots of measures you can use and I think the goal for me isn't equality, but it's preventing unreasonable amounts of inequality and it is preventing unreasonable poverty. It's making sure that people have enough. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, at the end of the day, people are going to have different amounts of money in their bank account. As long as there's money, there's going to be different amounts there. Right. You know, like right. if you spend money, some of the money goes away. It's like you don't become, oh, it's like, oh, our communism is refi- It just refills immediately. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It gets taken from whoever has the most right now. And like, it's a constant flow. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, it is kind of like this extremely absurd. That, that's actually a really weird thought experiment. The idea where like you have this nationalized banking system everyone participates in. And whenever anyone spends some money, whoever has the most right now, like it, it's, it's just a fascinating idea to me that to have this real time <laughs> computer interface system mm-hmm. where perfect equality of bank account amount is maintained. I guess, yeah, everyone would just rush to spend as much as possible. It would stimulate the economy. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. (laughs) But people wouldn't have any reason to show up to work. If income distribution was based on spending rather than earning, there's a reason that no one calls for what you just described. (laughs) I know. I know. I'm getting again into reductio ad absurdum. This is like why people argue against equality, because you can make all these ridiculous examples and that's why i'm saying reframing it and i'm not saying this is a reframing that's unique to me lots of people don't talk about equality but talk about lessening destructive massive inequality i just saying i think that's the right way to look at it and i think maintaining a bottom a guaranteed basic outcome is also the right way to look at it those two things are the goal not equality i think the people who advocate for equality basically mean that yeah before we go any further in this episode let us just say that it it is a baseline it is an assumption that there's going to be differences and fluctuations in the sizes of various things some people are going to be more talented than others in certain things some people are going to be taller or shorter fatter or thinner they're going to have brown hair or blonde hair there's going to be a great degree of beautiful flourishing and difference in nature and society technology everything that humans do is going to have a lot of difference within in it but at the end of the day no one starves in the street there's there's roofs enough for anyone and no one gets a gold-plated jet yeah everyone can have enough and I, you know i'm i might be willing to bend on the gold-plated jet 
but well, well I don't, why does it have to be gold plated? Yeah, it, no, I think I'm with you. Okay, so if you if you get that gold plated jet with the fucking um, marble <laughs> statues inside, and and it's run entirely by artificial intelligence, it flies you around for you. It has a personality and stuff. The most advanced technology imaginable. As long as everyone else isn't being impoverished to the point of losing dignity or mm-hmm. um, talk about that guaranteed basic outcome. If you're going to do that, I think like it really, you really have to be leveraging a lifetime of savings of being an exceptionally productive person. It's not completely out of the question that <laughs> right, you would get yeah, your, yeah, yeah. your gold plated marble artificial intelligence, yeah. super luxury jet. But <laughs> like, if that's what you want, like you have to, you really have to do something to earn it. Yeah. Like you really have to benefit society a lot. Yeah. Because yeah. you think about those resources and the time and like the, yeah. and the amount of fuel that uses, it's just not going to be, it shouldn't be economically feasible for anyone to do that. And right now it is economically feasible for 2,000 people to do that (laughs) while there are 2.36 billion people in poverty. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by Richie Reels 1% Deals. Whoa! Here at Richie Reels, we have everything for the needs of the 1% at a discount. We got security fences. We got armed guards. We got barking dogs. We got locks. We got keys. We got safes. We got treasure chests. We have gold-plated jets complete with their own accoutrement of servants. The luxury that you've come to expect at the lowest prices imaginable. We're going crazy giving you these prices. They make no sense. The only way these prices make any sense at all is because these prices are subsidized by the taxpayer. This gold-plated jet cost $55 million to produce, and we're going to sell it to you for $35 million, and we're going to make a profit of $15 million because it's subsidized by the taxpayers of Lithuania to the sum of $42 million. How much does it cost to take the life of someone who wronged me? Hmm, reasonable. How much does it cost to buy a court case in my favor? Oh, actually, that's not a... I mean, for for the market, that's not bad. I can't believe how much I saved on a priceless Fabergé egg. I've never seen a high price so low. And I've never seen a low price so high. You know, working at Richie Rich, I just feel so good about myself because I know I'm helping people save more money. It's like you help a poor person save half off on something they're buying. What do they save? 200 bucks? You help a rich person save half off. You help them save $15 million. It's so rewarding. Here, let me pop this old VHS tape of our founder, Richie Reels, into this squeaky projector for a second because I want to show you how committed he was to truth, justice, and finding great deals. I'm Richie Reels, and know that you're a deal seeker. But not just any deal seeker. These deals are the highest low prices you've ever seen, and that's the Richie Reels difference. You can save millions of dollars, spending millions of dollars, but you have to act now. Richie Reels, 1% Deals. Off the number three overpass, just past the irradiated shantytown.
There's an idea floating out there that I've run into a few times that I want to address, which is that inequality isn't the problem, but rather just poverty is the problem. And it comes from that sort of ambiguity of language we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. I've heard people like Ben Shapiro make this argument. I've also heard people that I agree with on other things make this argument. Yeah, it's a very attractive argument. And like, I think it's attractive because it's partially true in that... Like, it wouldn't be better to have a society where everyone makes $20,000 a year versus a society where the floor is making $30,000 a year, but there's also billionaires. Like, in one, just absolute poverty for everyone. And the other one, you know, some people have almost poverty, but some people have way, way too much. If you're saying the problem is only inequality and everything would be great if we were all the same, like, I, I get the logic behind it. Because of this argument existing, I want to really put a point on the reasons why inequality itself is bad. Like, it's not just the effect of poverty. There's significant evidence to suggest that inequality is bad for everyone in society. It's not just bad for the people who are on the poverty end of the seesaw. In countries where there's more inequality, and also even in U.S. states where there's more inequality, you can measure tons of detrimental effects. And these are detrimental effects that extend beyond the impoverished specifically, and in many cases extend to everyone in society. So in places with more inequality, there's more premature mortality, more people self-report poor health, increased obesity, increased mental illness, especially depression and schizophrenia, more infant mortality. And what I'm talking about here comes from the Equality Trust, which you can look up online. Uh, they collect evidence on the effects of inequality on the world. Yeah, they, they look at places, how much inequality they have, measure all these social ills, and then say, hmm, are the social ills more in the unequal places or less in the unequal places? And in most things, the inequality causes serious trouble. There's a few things I remember on their site that they mentioned that aren't affected by inequality, or it seems like may not be right. affected by inequality, but I haven't recorded those. And a more <laughs> equal society there's more violent crime more robbery uh, and more property crime <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah because if you deprive people of things i mean they're going to be yeah, pushed if to... you have zero radios and someone has a hundred radios you're just going to feel justified in taking some of their radios like it's just so it's so so obvious yeah we call that the radio <laughs> parable at the show but also in more unequal societies there's less social cohesion and trust which i mean connects to the criminality as well There's less social mobility, uh, worse education outcomes, worse literacy, lower voter turnout, less cultural activity, less trust, less confidence in politics and less interest in politics, and also lower overall happiness. Also, inequality is economically bad. It's not a choice between having super high-powered, great markets that are unequal and having weak or somehow compromised markets that results in equal outcomes and bread lines and, and like it actually stimulates economic activity to have a more equal society there's reason to think that inequality leads to inflation according to an IMF working paper inequality contributed to the 2008 financial crisis it also decreases productivity because evidence shows that decreasing a low paid person's wage affects productivity more than increasing a high paid person's wage so if you accept that as an economic principle that paying more to the people at the top results in less additional 
productivity than paying more to people at the bottom, which I think it just makes sense to me. Yeah. Then inequality causes a waste in potential productivity as we're we're not paying lowest paid workers enough to get the best performance out of them. Yeah, this all makes so much sense to me. And like I've heard these stats before. But it's been years since I, you know, just looked at Equality Trust and the stuff they talk about. But it fits in so well with, because I was thinking about why inequality is bad. I didn't go to like information or anything. I was just thinking, (laughs) creating the narrative in my head and thinking about society as a game we've talked about this on lots of episodes like we're we're a game playing species and if you think about your participation in the world as learning game rules figuring out how to play the game of society that we've set up it's a very potent metaphor and it makes so much sense to all of the things you just said that if you have a game that is set up in such a way the game rules are set up in such a way that it's really hard for people who start at zero to ever win the game if the game isn't fair people don't want to play the game like how many times do you want to wrestle with someone who is eight times your size and will beat you 100% of the time like it's not fun and so you don't trust the game that makes sense you don't want to participate in the game that makes sense you don't have any motivation to want like you were saying like political engagement goes down because if the game of society is just obviously unfair to to you, it doesn't feel worth it to want to engage in that way. That reminds me of, I think, the deepest threat, the risk that our current situation, it's its almost like the difference between having a cut, like inequality is a cut, and then there's the potential that this cut could get infected, where inequality becomes not just something that's incidental, but something that's systemic. And I think it's something that the cut is infected. We have a systemic inequality problem where there's a sort of permanent, deep power balance between the global rich and the global poor, and where the vast majority of these massive, massive income differences that we see in society come not from productive work, not from people making innovations that make a significant difference to society. Like the person who invented the internet didn't become a billionaire. Like I was even just thinking the other day, I was washing dishes with one of those, like, it's like a sponge on the end of a little handle and you put soap inside the handle and it comes out through the sponge. And I was like, holy shit, I I hope the person who invented this is a millionaire, but you know, they're not, you know, they were, (laughs) and maybe they were. I don't think they were. If if they were a millionaire, let us know. <laughs> Pretty sure they weren't. But like the people who really innovate and like change society, the vast majority of wealth in society doesn't come from hard work and innovation. It comes from something that economists call rent seeking, which is where you're seeking to increase the amount of money that you have, not by contributing more productive labor, but by making yourself a middleman. Mm-hmm. I agree with what you're saying, or at least I agree that that's a huge problem and it's a huge enough problem that it's causing the game not to work. Like it's not something about you saying the vast majority gave me a bit of an allergy because I was like, I don't actually know what percentage of the economy and like wealth building is rent seeking. Like maybe it's only 40%. 40% is a fucking lot and it's way too much. But I, I yeah, I don't know if it's yeah. the vast majority, okay, but so it, but it's too much. Here, let me, let me <laughs> back that up with a little more information. Sure, please. So in economic terms, rent is unearned income. So if you think about income as being in two categories, earned and unearned, there are certain things 
there's certain types of income that are either you could think of them as unearned or being less earned or earned with an asterisk mm-hmm. um, or income that's just like hardcore straight up earned like you earned 200 bucks for pushing a rock somewhere that it needed to go. Sure. You know, it was like backbreaking labor. You're just like really working. Like that's some earned ass money versus, you know, I invested in such and such company and its stock went up by this much and I've, I've earned this much like capital gains. It's, it's sort of earning in a way. Like it's, I mean, capital gains is a thing because like, say you invented that sponge thing, but like you have no means of producing a lot of them, of selling them to people, Um, like having the idea and inventing the thing is great, but also it takes real competence and work and productivity to not just have the idea, but to turn the idea into a real thing and to get it to people. Yeah. And that takes money. And so having investment is a thing. And also just having like business people involved, people who are good at doing that. Yeah. And I guess it depends how much you want when you're designing your perfect society for it to be a job to already have money and to then (laughs) (laughs) decide where that money goes. Like, I think if if you want that to be a job in your society, then you can do a better or worse. Things are not perfect or whatever. So unearned income, a better example, or I think a really good example of that is like land value, which you look at like places in Vancouver, they've went up six figure cost to a eight figure cost over the course of 15 or 20 years, not because they've been redeveloped, not because the people who own the land have thrown a special party there that everyone loves, but because of the <laughs> special party, <laughs> because there's just like a larger systemic thing happening with property values inflating. Right. Oxfam estimates that when we're talking about the global 1% and the wealthiest people on earth, about one third of that income comes from inheritance which is another form of unearned income. I mean, we tax inheritance, don't we? Yeah, I mean, it depends where you are. There's There are inheritance taxes places. There's also yeah. are, there's places without inheritance taxes, I'm pretty yeah. sure. But Maybe just because my parents have some things, but I'm like, oh, you can't get rid of inheritance. But like definitely <laughs> inheritance taxes make a lot of sense. I mean, I, I'm not an extremist, but I, I think we can acknowledge that receiving a house because your parents owned it is different than receiving a house because you worked a long time and then bought it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> Oxfam, a lot of their 2018 report on income inequality, which is called reward work, not wealth. Their sort of theme throughout it is that global inequality has been caused not by certain people working hard and certain people not working hard, but because of entrenched systems of inequality. And just like the basic insight that if you have money, it's easy to make more money. So like the ideal investor in the best case scenario, who's like, oh, this cleaning sponge really works. I want to make sure this gets off the ground, but I also want a piece of that action. Mm -hmm. That person has to have money to begin with. So if I'm poor as shit and I'm like, oh, this thing really works. Oh, I hope to buy one one day. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, no, totally. <laughs> so there's a difference there. So I, I think like the real big threat with inequality, more so than any of these individual sort of like health outcomes and stuff that we could talk about, is regulatory capture, where the public regulatory agency that handles a field, for example, like regulatory capture would be if the person who is in charge of regulating the coal industry 
was from the coal industry and was more invested in the coal industry succeeding than weighing all of the things that a government should weigh in something that's complicated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so my argument would be that we've actually seen a pretty comprehensive regulatory capture in a number of places that are very, very important to the global economy, like uh, global finance, the resource industry, oil, telecommunications. You got this huge trend of like privatization of state run things. Even if the state run things are successful, what you have is you, an antagonistic government comes in, they make political, intentionally wrong choices, which damage the state run institution. They use that as an excuse to privatize it. They sell it under cost to their friends. The cost of everything goes up and they have a monopoly. The real threat, I think, is that and we've got our foot in this doorway, like we're, we're standing in the doorframe right now. It's like we've got a real risk of this happening, which is a comprehensive combination between the rent seeking behavior, like looking for more unearned income mixed with using that unearned income to curry more influence with the government to the point where the game board gets so tilted that a very small group of people at the top who live in a gold plated luxury fucking massage lawless universe a very marginal tiny little like middle class that's entire role is to protect the the wealthy physically and then a vast majority of people who are extremely poor that's the worst case scenario i think for for income inequality that would come from the long run of the things that we're already seeing as trends as far as the increase in rent seeking and the increase in regulatory capture where you could have a complete political order and some argue that we already have this but i think it's more of a long term fear which is having a legal order that exists exclusively to protect the rights of the rich against the claims of the poor mm-hmm. as they waste away and are used yeah i mean that is like (laughs) the horror scenario and like i can see that we're trending in that direction something about the phrase permanent bugs me because it because you believe in the human spirit yeah it's this isn't even the human spirit i feel like that people who are constantly mistreated so badly that they have no hope will riot revolution guillotine the leaders i guess yeah that's a belief in the human spirit but it's it's also a belief that resentment is such a toxic force that you can't just contain it with force it will eat you alive <laughs> and it'll eat all the people around you alive and either way like you just don't want to get to that point you don't want to get to the point where where the game is so unfair that it becomes this this semi-permanent system where where the only option for the people at the bottom to do anything to potentially make their lives better is to completely destroy the system as it exists. Like ideally we we want to play a game that we can keep playing forever for multiple generations and it stays fair enough people have enough and you know there's winners and losers still because again that that perfect equality doesn't really make sense people are gonna have different amounts of money in their bank account yeah that's an allergy for me because i'm like well the game i mean most of the games everyone can win i mean like there's certain yeah some people can win more and some people will win less you know Uh, (laughs) well yeah or at the end of the day it's like well yeah you won the game of earning the most money but i won the game of not working 
working myself to death. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There's, yeah, there's not one game. The human society is a set of like hundreds of games, thousands of games. Because when you say there will be winners and there will be losers, I just, it <laughs> I feels saw, so Trumpy and I'm just like I, imagining his view of the I winner saw, and the loser. I saw your face when I said that, which is why I immediately followed it with some people will always have more money in their bank account because that's what I'm talking about. I think the human being who uh, has love in their heart is surrounded by their friends and family, even with a small bank account, is the real winner under, yeah, they, under they, a political system that makes sure their basic needs are met. Yeah. What won the game of having a fulfilling and meaningful life? Mm. And being just a great parent and, and uh, <laughs> no, yeah, totally and loving I, neighbor. Hundred percent, hundred percent. My point was like, okay, <laughs> when I was thinking about this topic, part of what I don't like about the discussion around inequality is that I feel like people look at the inequality that exists and what they take out of that is hopelessness and they feel that resentment and they shoot themselves in the foot even more than they've been shot in the foot by the game. Like not saying, oh, it's all your fault. <laughs> like it's your fault. You're at the bottom and you don't have money. Like, no, no, no. Inheritance is a thing. All these other factors are part of it. But then like these billionaires have the material victory of winning all this money and you don't. Don't also hand them the spiritual victory of giving up. <laughs> you know, I feel that's an important message, but I also feel it's an important message that the game has to be designed so that people don't feel like giving up. Like, <laughs> like it's all well and good to tell the people right now who are losing, like, Hey, it'll be better for you if you do maintain some gratitude for what you have and some hope that you can improve your life and you work at that. Like that's, just facts on the ground, that's a better attitude to take for yourself, for is making that, your tomorrow better. Aaron, is that your message to the 2.36 billion people in poverty? It absolutely is. Yeah. Like, no, like, um, it is. It's it's one of my messages to them anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, yeah, everybody needs to know that. Like, and, and like, again, like shooting yourself in the foot and giving them the spiritual victory as well. All those things are true. But like, then also... As much as you extol people at the bottom to like temper their resentment and try to find things to be grateful for, that's only so effective. And changing the rules of the game so that people have enough is a very effective way for everyone. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it's more effective, but like you have to talk about both because the person listening to this right now who has no money, like they can't change the rules of the game. Like you and I can't change the rules of the game tomorrow. Like <laughs> that's something that requires political will, requires organizing, like talking about it is important. Having the ideas is important. Voting for the right people is important. Like there's so many things you can do to push towards that, but you can't just do that tomorrow. Like that's something that requires a lot of work. What you can just do tomorrow is like try some cognitive behavioral therapy on yourself and change the way you think about things a little bit to make your own life better. I mean, sometimes frustration and anger and things like that, they can be motivators to action. And Absolutely. That's, and that's yes. a positive yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think your point isn't lost on me. Yeah. There needs yeah, to I be would some make a, level of... I'm making a distinction between anger, righteous anger, and frustration. This was also in my notes. Can be, yeah, good things. I, I'm not someone who thinks bad emotions are bad. They're like you're just against, in bad situations. You're arguing against hopelessness. Yeah. Just to wrap up what I'm saying is... 
as an individual, you have very little control over the cards that circumstance has dealt you in life, but you do have some control over how you play those cards. And that's just, that's absolutely true. And it's important to remember. The other thing that's important to remember is that people who are pushed into a corner will lash out. And the game that the ultra-rich are playing of tilting the deck so hard with rent-seeking, with regulatory capture, is pushing a lot of people into a corner. And their idea of a solution, rather than untilting the game board somewhat, is (laughs) to threaten the poor with more deprivation through austerity policies and right-wing Uh, capitalist ideological think tanks. And I'm just saying that's a very bad move on their part. It's stupid for them because it makes the game unplayable and unwinnable. And if it's a really bad game, it's nobody's going to win it, even if it looks like you're really winning for a while. Like, again, the permanent thing, I I don't see that happening. I see catastrophe happening instead, like <laughs> like societal collapse cataclysm. I, I don't think this is actually going to happen because I think people are going to write the ship as they get angrier and angrier. But that that's my nightmare scenario more so than like a permanent dystopia. I agree with you that we'll win, like we can pull it off, Uh we'll stand up to it. People went back into a corner. But also at the same time, my imagination's great enough that I can imagine it reaching a point of no return. I think if we start working now and we work decisively and and we talk about the world that needs to to come to exist and we use the best evidence and move through various modes of, of political organizing, like it's the problems we currently face are not insurmountable. But I think the threat is that if we don't act, someday it could be insurmountable. And I want to use that to be in, like yeah, an incentive and a reason run to... Away, the thing that you run away from. Yeah, yeah so I, I want to make sure that we take some action so that doesn't become true. Yeah. And my tendency to, is to think that we will. But at the same time, I want to use that as the threat to motivate <laughs> myself and others also to, to stand up against it. Yeah. Maybe I've just seen too many dystopian, sci-fi, futuristic things where it seems like it's hopeless, but then... You know, things happen and orders are overturned and history doesn't just end in a stasis like that. But um, it's a beautiful, way, it's, it's a beautiful it's, story. Dystopias like utopias aren't static, but they are useful images to run away from or towards. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it looks like the ship's coming in, the new arrival to Treasure Island. Hey, over here. Oh, over here. Hi. Oh, Sean Rong. Nice to meet you. Thanks for bringing me over to Treasure Island, Treasure Castle, or just Treasure Paradise, I guess. What do you you usually call it? We tend to think of it as a lawless, gold-plated massage universe. Cool. My dad, Ritriel, you know, Ritriel's 1% deals. That's just where I bought my new gold-plated boat. Nice. Great. That's more money in my pocket. I got a great deal on it, too. Yeah. I bet you did. That's why my dad was the richest man in British Columbia, and that's why I'm now the richest man in British Columbia. And you're, sorry, what town are you from again? Uh, wrong town? It's named wrong after... town. It's, it's named after my dad, old man Wrong. He started the Wrong Town Railroad, uh, huh. Wrong Town Free Press. He also made a rival newspaper for about 15 years, which is the Wrong Town Star. He probably shopped at one of my dad's stores. My dad loved finding big, small prices. Well, congratulations on earning your inheritance. Thank and, you. Thank you. You know, you belong here 
now with us in I'm this so luxury. I'm so glad I do, here. Yeah, I do. Do you want any of the servants to bring you anything, do anything for you, degrade themselves? I would love to get a couple Caesars in here. That's Caesar the drink, to be clear, but also mm -hmm. a Caesar salad. Mm -hmm. Do you do milk shows on the island? Yeah, of course. I need a milk show. I've got some knots in my back. I need that worked out right away. But I want to be in VR when I'm getting my back massage worked out. Uh, Mandy? Mandy. Really, really enjoying that new wealth, eh? Uh, new well, money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, I mean, you offered. The same. You got me. I mean, I, you got to be okay. Be real with me. What's it like to be in hundred bill territory? Like we're talking pretty. Yeah, wealthy. it is. It is a thousand times more money than you have. So that's just one way to think about it. And I have a thousand times as much as you. Oh, that's like me and my brother. Your oh, your brother? He's actually got zero now because he used it to pay off his debt instead of investing it, which I thought was kind of a, <laughs> a weird choice. But yeah, you could have bought Bitcoin. Yeah, he if he'd just bought Bitcoin when my dad first died, he'd be rolling in it now. He made the mistake. Ooh, yeesh. Yeah, some brothers. Looks like he didn't earn it. There's a reason that my dad left 99.9% .9 of all his wealth to me instead of my brother. It's because my brother doesn't know how to use money at all. And I think the proof's in the pudding is oh, that I've funny. got... That's That's just like me and my brother. My dad left me 99.99%. What happened to your brother in the end? He became an airline pilot, drank himself to death. Oh, that's sad, too bad. Sad story. I'd say if my brother became a pilot, that'd be a step up. Yeesh. Well, I don't want to get involved in your family squabbles. I actually do have to run to an appointment over on Diamond Beach, which you got to be at least 10 digits to get on Diamond Beach. So is that an entire beach that all the sand is made up of like the type of diamond that costs a lot of money you'd buy in a diamond store? Yeah, it's really nice laying there under the sun and just getting up and there's all these diamonds stuck to your body like sand and you brush them off like it's nothing because it is nothing to you. To you, it would actually be a lot still, but to me, it's nothing. And I deserve that, so. Yeah, I like to keep in touch with my roots. I like to keep in touch with oh, that's salt, salt of the earth background I'm from. Good for you. Good for you, so knowing your, I try to, your station. I don't need the diamond beach so much. I'm okay with the gold-plated furniture and you know, marble and staircases. And, and Some people are. Some people are just fine with that. Some people need platinum and diamond. Mm -hmm. It was nice meeting you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. You're in the club now, or like one of the clubs. I'm in more deeper clubs, but you're in a club. All I know is the system works. Yeah. Love the system. Love it's the perfect. system. It's working. So we're talking about different ideas of how bad it could get, but like, how bad is it? I understand you have information on this to present to me. I read the majority of, or the best parts of, a report done by Oxfam International. It's called Reward Work, Not Wealth. And it contains a lot of statistics about the current kind of global inequality situation. General trends that I can report is that in general, the rich are getting richer and the gap between the rich and the rest of us is getting bigger and bigger around the world. Right now on Earth, we have a little over 2,000 billionaires and 2.37 billion people who are beneath the poverty line. Um, and that's kind of a conservative poverty line. I, I saw a headline that said that 52 people have as much wealth as two point something billion. I think that was actually an earlier year's statistic and it's down to 44. Interesting. So they keep a ratio between the bottom half of the population and, and the, the right. top individuals. Yeah. Presumably next year it's just going to get smaller and smaller because that's the trajectory we're on. I mean, that's if we just say if it's just one person who has as much wealth as half the population. 
It's easy. We just assassinate them. It's a, it's a simple moral question. I mean, like, it's like the trolley problem, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You've got half the world's population on one train tracks and one gajillionaire on the other train tracks. The train is headed for the half the world's population. Do you switch the switch? Yes, 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 100%. Yes. Just like... <laughs> like that's I'm, such I'm, a funny i love that it makes me cringe to, to joke about assassination but you put it in the form of a trolley problem and i'm like yes yes i'll call <laughs> ding, up ding, all ding, my ding, friends ding. and we'll do it yeah, yeah like <laughs> i'm gonna take a picture here's me doing like a peace sign with a big smile my tongue out beside, as, I move the, the, beside, yeah. as i pull the trolley <laughs> lever to move the train away from the bottom half of all human beings towards just one individual who is think about how productive that guy was that's true and when we lose them i'm sure the whatever it is phones telecommunications in mexico or whatever at the time yeah. it's the makes you the richest it's amazon it'll just collapse yeah i wonder if amazon would collapse if we assassinated jeff bezos you know i, I really got to actively cringe here about assassination i don't yeah, like no, it but I'm, no i'm just you're, trying to make you uncomfortable just say but trolley problem get jeff into bezos. A specific, the, the jeff bezos trolley problem <laughs> that's easy to answer yeah. when you talk about assassination i'm like oh get stop so here's some random snapshots. In Nigeria, the richest man earns enough interest on his wealth in one year to lift two million other Nigerians out of extreme poverty. Sorry, you said in one year he earns enough to lift two million out of extreme poverty? Yeah, just on the interest of oh, his on existing. the interest of his existing wealth. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> That's an unfair game. I wouldn't want to play that game if it was how Monopoly was structured. And actually, Oxfam did extensive surveying about opinions on inequality. And you might be surprised to know that 92% of people in Nigeria say that inequality in their country is too big. <laughs> I might be surprised. I actually wasn't surprised. <laughs> Guess which 92% that was. Uh, the um, top 92. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom, the bottom eight percent just can't see their chains at all. They're just like, well, what? I mean, they're just it, like, it's pretty good. More money, more problems. We're down here. We have the best situation. Having nothing is great. <laughs> bottom eight percent, baby, for life. <laughs> the uh, three richest Americans own as much as the bottom half of the American population which is 160 million people. But when you get like that 42 number or this one, when you get it down to like double or single digits and like how they have the same amount as billions or millions, hundreds of millions, it's it's such a potent stat. Yeah, and I think that's why people use, I was thinking about like, why does the inequality framing come up? And it's because it's the best shorthand we have to describe the dissonance between, because you're painting two pictures. You paint the picture of the rich opulence and then you paint the picture of the poor starving degradation yeah and just putting them next to each other is what makes it really jarring and horrible and uh, an incitement to political action mm. i mean either one by itself is arguably bad but together it's like oh jesus christ um yeah it's like that scene in the third zeitgeist movie where he shows like this rich guy eating all the shrimp and drinking all the food and there's like poor people sitting beside them on the like <laughs> it's, a, it's a powerful image i agree with you <laughs> um <laughs> Shout out to Zeitgeist 3. It Which was is the like best a one. Yeah, a real thing that actually happens is like on the same street, you have homeless people and then people enjoying like extremely expensive dinner. Like in Vancouver here, it's like there's the downtown east side, those few blocks filled with homeless people and drug addicts and like the most economically depressed people in the city. And then you go one block over to Cordova Street or even like a few blocks.
bucks down mm-hmm. on Hastings. $26 and this, pasta. Yeah, exactly. There's <laughs> nice ass fucking restaurants, like these beautiful buildings and like, it's crazy. And it's right beside each other. It's right beside each other. It's so weird. And there's like burly guys. This is actually a Vancouver phenomenon there in Gastown. There's burly guys with big mustaches and brooms and they chase <laughs> away all the, they chase away all the poor people who are like, yeah, get out of here. Yeah. Get out of here. I'm, I'm laughing because it's horrifying. It's just like, that's uh, you guys in brooms. <laughs> that's not true. That's not <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> wanted burly men with mustaches to sweep homeless away. I mean, well, here's some more stats. In Brazil, if you work 19 years at minimum wage, that's equal to one month of wages at the 0.1% wage. So if you're in the top thousandth level of wealth to the general population, you earn as much money in one month as someone who earning minimum wage earn 19 years full time. Right. I feel like that one, the numbers are too big to have that potency because you're like 19 years. My brain can't wrap my head around that. It's well, a long I mean, ass it's, time. Yeah, it's easy. The one month versus 19 years thing is very, it's an effective stat. I think I'm just already becoming numb to these because I'm like, <laughs> yes, it's bad everywhere. <laughs> what other country is it bad in, Sean? <laughs> Well, here's another little fun one along those lines, although you're probably deeply numb to the suffering of millions already. They they tell an anecdote that I thought was interesting in this report. It's about a worker. She's making shoes all day, just shoes after shoes after shoes for like a big company. The owner of the company is one of like the richest people in the world because these are expensive shoes she makes. But the cost of buying the shoes that she makes hundreds of every day, if she wanted to buy a single pair of shoes it would cost her more than a month of her own wages. This is a real... A real, yeah, a real thing. example. Yeah. Like, I used to work for Lush Cosmetics when mm-hmm. I was younger on the factory floor. And, you know, we'd just be making thousands of bath bombs with our hands by hand, getting paid pretty bad wages. You've got, like, targets you're trying to hit of the amount you're making. And then they go off and they sell them for eight, nine, ten bucks each. And you, like, yourself just made 500 of them. And you got paid 60 bucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. I remember having some serious class anger when I was when I was working there. Sure, yeah. There's over 150 million children between the ages of 5 and 17 uh, working. 150 million 150 child laborers. 150 million child laborers. Does that include like 14-year-olds who got a job at Pizza Hut in America? Or is this like... I don't think so. No, I think this child is... child labor. Yeah, I think this is real shit child labor we're talking about. Okay, fuck. Another example they give in this report that I found interesting was they're talking about the garment industry in Vietnam specifically. They basically argued that if you reduced shareholder profit by one third in the garment industry, you could afford to pay all of the workers a living wage. The degree of profit that investors get Mm -hmm. is being prioritized over the living conditions of the people actually doing the work, which is kind of like it's an egregious example of like the earned versus unearned income dichotomy and and how this stuff plays out in reality, where you have like hundreds of thousands of people who are like on poverty wages actually producing the thing at the end and the only reason that they're on poverty wages instead of fair wages is because the system takes a chunk of their money and gives it to someone who had money at the beginning of the process yeah yeah it gets gets my pitchfork twitching (laughs) i'm trying to think this unearned earned thing again and it's like it's really about proportionality 
Because like, okay, yes, you risked $3 million to bet on this this sponge handle invention and it became successful and you got a return on investment in that. I don't I don't think that's bad, but I think what's bad is like if the people making those things aren't don't have enough money to live, it just it the result has to be fair and I don't have a formula to present right now, but it's like you know it when you see it and all these things you're talking about are not fair. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's like in the investment side, I think there's a lot to unpack when you're talking about the investment side. What mechanisms is it possible to exist to make sure that organizations have the resources to get off the ground? Is the best returning investment that way to shareholders? Tying this into inheritance, actually, because we're talking about capital. Basically, we're talking about capital and how to utilize capital to take innovations and bring bring them into reality in the world. So like if we're talking about inheritance and how much you can pass on to your kid and how much is a reasonable inheritance tax, I like the idea of saying that there's a pool of capital that's, you know, publicly controlled that comes from inheritances. Like you're when you're leaving your inheritance to society, to your kids, like yes, your kids get more of it than everyone else, but part of it also goes into the public pool. And Mm. the public pool is this sort of like, well, this well of capital that not just rich people have access to, but that anyone with like a solid idea and a business plan can get access to through mechanisms that exist. I, I just thought of the idea of like inheritance being a thing that doesn't just go genetically to progeny, but also from people who've built a lot of wealth to the world mm-hmm. and like you pass that inheritance down to to both into these different pots. Mm-hmm. And and I know what you're thinking when you hear capital well. You're you're saying, "Oh, well, what if the capital well gets corrupted and the rich start only giving out money from the capital well to their rich buddies?" Mm. Well, first of all, I have to agree with that concern. If rich people got to keep 100% of their inheritance money and pass it on to their rich buddies, that would be a tragedy <laughs> and it's something we need to stop. So I agree with you there. The second thing I agree with you on is that we need to have strong protections to make sure that the rich can't influence our political system. Because the number one way to keep the capital well working for the people is to make sure that you can't use your money to buy yourself political outcomes. Yeah. Uh, So that that implies a whole set of other reforms, which I strongly, strongly endorse. (laughs) Um, So I agree with all your criticisms and concerns about the capital well. But I also, you know, this capital well idea, let's do it. Um, I like the idea of separating when you talk about like an inheritance tax, taking inheritance money and not putting it in general revenue, like putting it to a special other place. Yeah. That like that serves the function of inheritance for all the people who don't get an inheritance of like, if you got something useful and you need money to back it up, like this is an option for you. It's you've talked about how bad it is, but like it's also getting worse. Right. Did you say that? Did you have a stat about that? Even if you don't have a stat, but just like. It is it is getting worse. Like <laughs> this isn't a stable bad amount of inequality we're talking about, like these numbers. This is a trend. Yeah. So for example, we can look at the top one percent of the population. They get about a thirteen percent raise every year on average. Yeah. The bottom ninety-nine percent of the population gets about two percent raise per year on average. Right. So there's quite a staggering difference. And also there's economists who have analyzed Panama Papers details and their estimate is that the top 
0.01% of the global population has a tax avoidance rate at, by their estimate based on publicly available information between 25 and 30% of their owed taxes are never paid when compared to the general population that is 99.9% .9 of people the general tax evasion rate is about 2% so right. we've got a group of people who are like using international uh, tax havens and stuff like that the global 0.01% is making an obscene amount of money that we can barely imagine what it would be like to have. They're also evading paying their legally owed taxes 15 times as much as the average population. Right, right. Which is also proportionately scales to the size of their income for how much they're actually evading in dollars. And again, this is a trend that the tax evasion has been getting worse. The inequality has been getting worse. It goes on and on. And the, the other aspect of the global inequality crisis that I think just merits a moment of reflection and discussion is the gender aspect to this. Where we have our 2,000 billionaires, nine out of 10 of them are men. A lot of the poorest people on earth who work the longest for the lowest wages. They tend to be women. There's 18 countries where husbands can legally prevent their wives from working. There's 100 countries where women are not allowed to do the same work as men. There's no protected right to for women to enter any field. In 46 countries, domestic abuse is legal. And I don't have the statistics on hand, but you know, there's been debates about what type of inequality of income exists between men and women. There's certainly examples you can find where there's a staggering difference in a field or a less staggering difference in another field. There's people can justify it one way or another. But if you look at the statistics on wealth disparity rather than income disparity, like how much money is held by women versus how much money is held by men, it's a staggering difference. Oxfam estimates that about $10 trillion of unpaid labor is done by women every year around the world. If you start affixing monetary values to the everyday care that women do in families in third world countries and stuff like that, they say it amounts to $10 trillion worth of labor. So I think that's just an interesting angle on the inequality stuff. Yeah. I really like the idea of paying people for labor in the house. Obviously, that would disproportionately benefit women. But having a kid and raising a kid well is an investment in society. And it makes sense to me that society would pay for that work. I think that would be great. And I also, I would just love to get paid for doing my dishes and cleaning my apartment. Like it would motivate me to do that. I would, I would love that. So oh, yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd make a little <laughs> extra time for sure. Hey, come in, come in. Welcome. Mikasa Sukasa, man. Um, Thanks. Thank you so much for this. My brother kicked me out of the house and, you know, I'm going to find my own place. But for right now, I just don't have somewhere to stay. You know, I maybe could have done a hotel. I could have swung it. But like this works a lot better for me. I'm sorry if it's an imposition. But no, thank no, it's you. all good. You know, when someone when someone's in need, you help them. That's just yeah. that's the way I was raised. Right. Me too. And like, God, Sean, I mean, I don't want to just talk about him behind his back but you'd think he could let me stay there a little bit longer or yeah maybe. I, I don't get what's going on between you and him but it seems pretty wild yeah money seems to have changed him you know i don't want to say that but and i hope it's not true i hope he comes around but like he's he's been acting like a monster frankly yeah i don't get the the kicking out his brother thing yeah and like, i asked him to give me half of the 99 million and he laughed at me he just said no it's like, mm, take your $10,000 and that's fine. It's like, it's basically nothing. Your dad works for his whole life, starts wrong town, it's named after him. You expect a little something, you know, when he dies. But like, I got a little something, it was a real little something. Like, ooh, I paid off my debts, whoop-de-doo. I mean, when you were expecting millions, 
It's shit. Anyway, you're a doll letting me stay here. Yeah, no problem. I mean, feel free to take my couch and until you can get on your feet. Um, try to get any food in the try fridge. Try to do right. Uh, yeah, we do. There's some leftover. Uh, um, actually, oh, maybe just don't. Anyway, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess you, yeah, you can just go to town on those. Um, Thanks. It's yeah, it's no problem if you want to kick back here for a while until you get on your feet. Um, if you actually, if you could skip just uh, some of the, um, I guess I'll get a marker. It's some of the stuff in the fridge. I'd, um, just please donate for whatever, whatever is off limits. Just let me know. I don't want to be uh, uh, any kind of imposition on you. Just yeah, no, no. Off my shoes here in the living room. Let's have a seat on the couch. Mind if I turn on the TV, watch watch what I want to watch? Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna get started on dinner, and yeah, feel free to kick back and just yeah, welcome to the house. And no, um, yeah, thank you so much, man. This is like you're amazing. You're my savior right now. Yeah, it's it's no problem. Um, no, not like my fucking brother. God damn it! Still can't believe that ten thousand dollars. Your brother got a lot more money than you. He did. I don't get that. That's fucked. Thank you. Yes. But also, you did get a lifetime of of being the son of someone who's very wealthy. Yeah, you saw how that turned out. <laughs> I'm living on your couch. Yeah, but I mean, you've lived this entire life. I mean, how old are you now? 36? 37? Yeah. Both. And you've been living in your, your dad's house this whole time. I mean, I don't, you got your little podcast, but you don't, I've never known you to have a job. I haven't needed one before this. Yeah, I mean, you haven't. Yeah, that's you, it. I now I have to get a job. Shit, that's a bummer. Yeah, and, and your dad gave you $10,000 to pay off your debt. And, I mean, I don't think what happened was fair, but look at me. I got two kids. I work, come home, single dad, cook for them. Yeah. That's what you're I doing, do. You're doing great. Yeah, you keep those kids' roof over their head. It takes, you know? and it takes, it takes a lot in this economy. I've got debt right now. I wish someone would leave me money when they died. Didn't your mom leave you any money when she died? Uh, Aaron, I don't know how to tell you this, but no. I mean, hmm. that doesn't always happen. I mean, 10000 well, is not guaranteed. Yeah, no, right. I got... It was really an expense. I had to pay for her funeral out of pocket. And, you know. Oh, yeah, no, that, my dad's was all taken care of. I didn't have to yeah, think I'll about it. Yeah, care of. I'll taken care of. Yeah. Taking care of the Aaron Wrong story. I wish someone would leave me $10,000. It'd pay off one third of my mom's funeral debt. Oh, that seems like an expensive funeral. Well, do you know how much your funeral costs? Huh? Or do you have other people take care of that until now? She's my mom. I love her. I'm going to give her a nice funeral. Uh, well, I then maybe we, we like live in different all moral universes. Like maybe we lot. just live in different moral universes. She was already dead. How much did you spend on your dad's funeral? Again, I don't know. Zero dollars. taken care yeah, of. Yeah, zero dollars. Well, it came out of the inheritance, most of which went to my brother. Well, tiny violin for you. You have to get a job. Know who else needs to get a job? Everyone else. It's not true. Sean doesn't. Yeah, that's true. That is a supreme injustice. Not for I mean, the reason. It wouldn't be so bad if I had the same amount as him, but that's not true. That's where we differ on this one. Hmm. Oh, you were going to get started on dinner, right? Um. Yes. Yes, I was. All right. Good, because I'm just going to watch this. Billy Tratt would just stay in this region. Actually, Billy Tratt is gay now, so so that one's not really our fault. <laughs> Monica, how come you never told me this? I thought it might be true. And I was afraid that you were going to cry and then show it to me. <laughs> in California, you're supposed to stop for a pedestrian at a crosswalk. And in a recent study, 
some 90% of drivers did, except for those driving luxury cars. Drivers of those BMWs, those Porsches, those Mercedes, were anywhere from three to four times more likely to break the law than drivers of less expensive, low-status cars. UCAL Berkeley's Paul Piff led a series of startling studies. Um, oh, by the way, there's candy there. It's actually for um, children for another study, but you know, you're welcome to take a few pieces if you want to. Wealthier participants took two times as much candy from children as did poor participants. We did not expect to find this. Our findings apply to both liberals and conservatives. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're wealthy, you're more likely to show these patterns of results. Results consistent across 30 studies he's run on thousands of people all over the United States. So what is it about wealth that might make people behave differently? What are we doing here? We're playing a, a game of monopoly that's rigged. This game is typical of another kind of experiment Piff likes to run. Instead of studying actual rich people, Piff gets subjects to feel rich in the lab. The designated monopoly money bags starts with a few legs up. $2,000 versus the poor man's $1,000. I only get to roll one die, and as it says here, when I pass go, I collect a lower salary. Piff has run this experiment with hundreds of people on the Berkeley campus. The rich players are determined randomly by coin toss, the game rigged so they cannot lose. When we ask them afterwards, how much do you feel like you deserved to win the game? The rich people felt entitled. They felt like they deserved to win the game. And that's a really incredible insight into what the mind does. Start to attribute success to your own individual skills and talents, and you become less attuned to all of the other things that contributed to you being in the position that you're in. One, two, Those in the role four, of top five, dog six, seven, began eight. to bark like one. And so I get the $200. Yeah, you get 200 bucks. So, well, give me 140 because I'm going to buy Mediterranean. Now listen to the way that you just spoke to me. It's very directive, you know, almost like a demand. Those arbitrarily assigned the role of low dog became more nearly man's best friend. If I take someone who's rich and make them feel psychologically a little less well off, they become way more generous, way more charitable, way more likely to offer help to another person. When you first were telling me about this and you're just like, and then the people who got the unfair benefit in Monopoly, when you asked them if they thought they'd earned their wit and you don't even have to finish talking and just like couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. yeah. Also, when I first, when I first told you about how the rich participants would take twice as much candy from babies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your suggestion was they were trying to protect the children from tooth decay and they were actually yeah. the benevolent rich. <laughs> rich people, better planning for the future. And they just wanted to bestow that benefit on these impulsive kids. Very noble candy taking from babies. One counterpoint I've heard, because I mean, it sounds almost kind of malicious when you're saying like, they'll take candy from babies, they'll cheat on tests, yeah. they'll run. When you, when you say take candy from babies, <laughs> you do tend to picture like... Like Mr. Burns stealing Maggie's candy in that. Yeah, Simpsons we now have episode. experimental data to back up that scene from The Simpsons <laughs> where Mr. Burns steals candy but from Maggie. It is different to take it out of the baby's hand directly than <laughs> to like everyone took some candy. They were offered some candy. Just the rich people felt like more, more entitled. entitled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they felt more entitled to the pretzels in the bowl during the Monopoly game. 
But I mean, I guess that makes sense. Of course, like if you just can get most things, I don't know, like I feel entitled to breathing clean air. <laughs> if, if having access to private jets was as natural to me as breathing clean air, I might start to feel entitled to it. <laughs> uh, like, uh, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying I understand the acclimatization mechanism at play there. There's an appealing narrative that the upper class people in these experiments are just showing morally bad behavior. And that's like appealing. But another potential angle on it, a friend of mine raised that there might be a third factor that affects both the fact that they're rich and the fact that they're making these decisions that reading is immoral mm -hmm. when they're actually better understood as like risky decisions, that rich people are less risk averse than poorer people. And that by being put in a higher status position with like a monopoly game is creating that temporary rush associated with that higher status position, which decreases risk taking. So that might include like the social risk taking of like realizing that there's no risk in eating more pretzels or speaking loudly or maybe making demands of each mm -hmm, other. And right, like, yeah. I mean, I more tend towards the explanation that being rich and having power brings out these kind of like domineering sides of people. Well, I mean, both of those things make sense. I don't even like really see that much of a difference between those two explanations. Well, like, but you're throwing the word moral in there, just like you can just say that being less risk averse <laughs> in certain situations is immoral. Like, especially the one about driving through crosswalks without stopping. Yeah, or cheating on a game for $50. <laughs> yeah. It's a shitty thing to do. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like saying, oh, it's just because they're less risk averse doesn't make it not a shitty thing to do. Yeah, a different framing for the same phenomenon. It's interesting because like when I encountered it, it felt very much like, oh, like we're, we can explain this this way and like, don't take your pitchforks out yet. But it's like, no, I think the pitchforks should stay out. Oh, see, I wasn't even, <laughs> even if it's like being richer makes people more domineering. I'm like, this doesn't mean pitchforks necessarily. When I was thinking through this idea and I had my two recommendations of we need to make sure that massive inequality is tolerable. It's, it's at a fair place. It's a place where the game is still fun for everyone. And we also have to make sure that there's this enoughness. And the question that I wanted to ask was how much is enough? And I found this statistic, which is that according to a 2010 Princeton study, they were looking at the question, does having more money make you more happy? And what they ended up finding was that more money does increase your happiness until you reach $75,000 per year. And then once you have more than that, like it's nice, you can do more things. People like having more money, obviously, for many reasons. But having less than that is when you start to feel real deprivation. And that's a lot of money. Like I can't even imagine making that much money every year. I mean, I can imagine it, but <laughs> I've never made maybe half that at most certain yeah, it's, years. It's, it's twice as much as I think my peak so far. But when I think about that, I'm like, yeah, that would, I would just breathe such a fucking sigh of relief to make $75,000 a year. It would just feel like <laughs> no matter what, things would be okay. So to, to me, like I'm, there's lots of different ways to measure enough. And one of them is like, oh, you have your basic human needs taken care of. You're going to keep surviving. Uh, but I really like this happiness one because it's like just the bare minimum to not have the amount of wealth you have 
have a negative impact on your emotional well-being. It's an important line. And it's at about $75,000 per year. So I think a fair game would be one that provides people with that basic level of emotional well-being. And that's not to say everyone just gets $75,000 a year, be combinations between food programs, shelter programs, uh, guaranteed minimum incomes. and There's lots of ways to get at this amount. $75,000 is just one way of putting a number on it that I think is really potent because it seems like a lot of money. I don't know. It's enough it's yeah. really enough. Because I know I can hear the person saying, like, you can't do that. $75,000 per person is too much. And I think there's something kind of right about what they're saying is that if you gave all 7 billion people on Earth the resource extraction capital direction of a yeah, someone in the first 000, world yeah. who's earning $75,000 a year, our resources wouldn't be able to keep up with that. But I, I think what, what it is, is about what's the feeling of having $75,000? Like, yeah, because we're talking about feelings. We're talking about happiness. Yeah. 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 So in, we want everyone to feel like they got 75 grand. Yeah. Like that's... <laughs> but yeah. And the, again, and, that doesn't mean everyone gets a speedboat. Like $75,000. Yes, you can buy a speedboat. But like if everyone has access to a speedboat, that's the same thing. Yeah. Well, the, but, from a feeling standpoint, but wanna, it's far less resource intensive. I think probably what you're talking about is $75,000 in the United States, right? Probably. Yeah, yeah. And so for context in the United States, if you have an illness, you need to pay a shitload of money out of pocket to continue living. What concerns people? Lack of housing, lack of food, lack of medical care, not having access to opportunity because they don't have education or careers, etc. Having zero opportunity to travel or yeah. have fun night outs on the town. Or buy something nice because you like it every now and then. Yeah. And, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, God forbid, eat in a restaurant. When we talk about $75,000 in the context of America in the year 2010. $75,000 in 2010 in the United States is not something that's permanent in history. It's something, it's a measurement of a time and place and the command of resources that you get. But I think we can, through things like universal basic services, mm -hmm. um, like yeah. looking to an investment led economy that's people centered, where we invest in people in the future, give them room to thrive and stuff like that. In that context, the actual basic income payout to feel like you have 75 grand might almost be nothing. Like, because if you oh, totally, right. If, yeah. if you've got the house, if you got your telecommunications, you have enough spending money that you can get new clothes when you want it. And you can go for a night on the town. Sometimes you've got a way to get around in a consistent and reliable way. We Do can meet all these needs. We can meet all these needs while giving someone almost $0 as if you structure society around yeah, meeting yeah, these yeah, needs. Yeah. yeah. That's why I tried to say, like, I'm not talking about just giving everyone $75,000. But so, yeah, I, just, I, yeah, I wanted to get into what it means to $75,000 yeah. worth because yeah. we definitely have the capacity to give everyone $75,000 worth. Right. Yes. <laughs> totally. So, like, I think obviously we have to find ways to reduce inequality, causes all these terrible social ills, is potentially leading to a nightmare, dystopian, permanent scenario where a small, wealthy group of people rules the planet forever. 
So it's really important that we turn this around. Let's turn it around right now with our friends at Oxfam. They gave a list of recommendations based on their report um, for ways that we can, through the legal channels that exist on Earth, governments, put a cap on this uh, this inequality stuff. I'll just sort of breeze through them. You can hop in and we'll talk about it uh, whenever you feel right about it. They suggest getting timelines and action plans to set government targets for the ratios of income, saying that the total income of the top... 10% of the population should ideally be at a maximum ratio to the bottom 40% of the population. For the best outcome that you'd structure the incomes in society that the top 10% of the population as a whole is only earning four times as much as the bottom 40% total. More focus on inequality data, actually measuring and producing reports on inequality, particularly reports and information on the top 10% and the top 1%. Government clampdowns on democracy is another thing that's coming up in the report as like a trend around the earth right now is moving away from democracy mm-hmm. and it being related to income inequality. So they advocate protecting free speech and association as basic rights, putting gender equality initiatives in society, putting incentives on co-ops and workplace democracy, like giving preferential tax rates to more moral organizations, mandatory due diligence for multinationals to ensure that their workers are paid a living wage at every level of it. Something like Coca-Cola has the scope to actually ensure that everyone who works for Coca-Cola Corporation, no one is impoverished, should be a requirement of them to participate in society. Mm -hmm. They advocate for limiting shareholder returns, so not having shareholder returns. Are they unlimited right now? I don't know anything about how this works. Yeah, I think they're theoretically unlimited. Just like it's proportional to how much money the company's making and whatever the deal is that the shareholders get in return. And yeah, yeah like right, right. And how much yeah. how much they bought in for at the beginning. Yeah, and, right, right, right. Yeah, um, how many shares they have. They suggest mandating a twenty to one ratio of income between the CEO of an organization and the median income of all the workers. So not like the lowest paid worker, but the average among all of the workers. 20 times more than that should be the cap on CEOs. Mm -hmm. They didn't use these words, but uh, commit to universal basic services and a real social safety net. But basically, they were advocating for what we were talking about when we talk about universal basic services or universal basic outcome. Prevent exclusion from health and education based on income and expand the public sector. Increase taxes on sources that target the rich by circumstance. So tax on wealth targets the rich, a tax on property taxes the rich, and a tax on capital gains taxes the rich like these are three areas where if you increase taxes there you're increasing taxes on the rich not based on the income brackets of the people you're taxing but those are the places that the rich tend to have their money yeah they also advocate to end the use of tax havens and create new international tax standards to reduce global inequality they basically suggest building an international framework where rather than have different jurisdictions say like oh come here we'll lower taxes for you specifically if you move your business here and it creates like a race to the bottom around the world Mm -hmm. they're suggesting that there should be consistent international standards because basically like artificial 
tax incentives to move something from one area to another is actually a distortion on an ideal usage of land and ideal uses of shipping. Like, for example, if Hawaii creates a tax loophole for a certain product, but all of the things that the product is made of come from Brazil and everywhere it ends up being sold is over in, in Europe somewhere or something like that, you can just create all this redundancy around the world because you've created this artificial reason to move headquarters to this certain place that has nothing to do with either the, the production or distribution. Right. Yeah. And also just like, fuck that shit. Like, fuck lowering taxes to like suck corporations' dicks. Like, they, <laughs> it's, this is bad policy. Like, well, I mean, it makes sense for the government to want to do that because if they move there and even if you're taxing them less than they'd be taxed elsewhere, they're there now and you're taxing them something and you get money. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense for the corporations also to like yeah. court that type of stuff. It's like it's in both of their interests. So it's like, this is why you have to have regulations <laughs> on things because like the mutual interests of everyone involved don't always match the interests of society at large in the real world. Hey, oh, that's crazy. Weird. It almost <laughs> amounts to a conspiracy against the public when those interests align so much. Yeah. I don't know if you have more suggestions. Most uh, of no, them, that's, that's about it. Yeah. Most of them I'm like sound fine to me. <laughs> One thought that crossed my mind is like, ah, oh, details. That's, that's for the details people to work out. I'm an idea <laughs> man. I think about the big picture and like, I don't know. I feel like to have anything useful to say on any of them, I'd have to like do a bit of research, read what people say against that, see like, well, maybe it should be a bit different number or whatever. I don't know. But the, mm. the thrust behind them, I'm sure the people working at this organization are competent individuals who thought about a lot of things and making these recommendations. So Sounds pretty good. It sounds like they're trying to make the game more fair and funner for everyone to play. Yeah. And I mean, I like these suggestions and I think I read this over and I'm like, yes, yes. Send it to the committee for review. I don't have any last minute additions. I'm like, if this passes utopian muster, send it on to the implementation team. It passes the Aaron Moritz sniff test. But yeah, it's like put it in in front of some other eyes too. Uh, Oh, they also, they had some other suggestions specifically around corporate responsibility that I thought was interesting. They suggest legislating that there's no dividends or CEO bonuses unless everyone in the supply chain is paid a living wage. I do really like that one. Yeah. <laughs> Bonuses aren't allowed unless everyone has enough. No dessert unless you made sure that everyone had dinner. It's just a good rule in general. Don't get seconds until everyone has had first. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're at a dinner party. Did everyone get some steak? Oh, no, I haven't grabbed some oh, yet. Oh, okay. The poor, I, there's like, only one piece left and you should have it. 10,000 poor people in the supply chain didn't get any <laughs> steak? Oh, shit. Split this up for them. <laughs> They also suggest worker representation on boards, corporate boards, having representatives for workers, but not just for workers, but for like different sections of workers when you're dealing with, especially like in a multinational organization, it'd be ideal to have representatives of the people who actually work and relate to it, not just have someone who's like a worker's advocate who works in the same office in New York. Right. People in the Philippines are making your shoes. Like you want to have some people who actually represent the workers in the Philippines. Right. Also, they recommend like um, changing supply chains. And again, this could either be done by corporations or it could be done through incentives by states to encourage supply chains that focus on worker profit sharing, um, having like a social mission, contributing to the community beyond profit and or like being co-ops. They also specifically underline sharing profits with the lowest wage earners in the chain that like when dividends are being paid to shareholders, like 
let's say that all the shareholders have already got their money back times two mm-hmm. and the corporation exists and makes money. It's still making money. It doesn't need any shareholders to keep ticking along. Why would money go to the people who already got a double return on their investment because they already had money instead of put that same amount of money in the hands of the lowest paid workers in the chain, knowing that the lowest paid workers in the chain, the money is much more significant to them. Mm. Like if I give you an extra 50 bucks, it's nothing. But there's people in supply chains that you interact with that $50 would like change their life. It's yeah. a really bizarre situation we've inherited. I'd love 50 bucks though. If you do want to give me 50 bucks, I wouldn't say no. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. No, please. $50. A fabulous 50. Yeah. So yeah, I thought those were interesting suggestions from our friends over at Oxfam. What do you think, Aaron? Anything else you'd add to that? What do we need to do to fix the global inequality problem? Those seem fine. I think they forgot one thing, which is to aggressively, aggressively nationalize anything that's a natural monopoly or satisfies a basic need. Oxfam forgot that one, but I forgive them this time. Oxfam, next time I hope you mention aggressively nationalizing everything that's a natural monopoly on behalf of the people of the country. I don't have any thoughts on that either, so I don't know. <laughs> not yet. I have to. I have to like think about it. So that's a, that's another episode of the old Seriously Wrong Arena that's podcast. Inequality, theme. the episode, or numbers and inequality. This is a straight word numbering this one 123 <laughs> because we accidentally released 124 and skipped 123 and noticed 123 was 123 and we're like, let's do something about numbers and it ended up being inequality. So here it is, everyone. Episode 123. Episode 123. Here it is. <laughs> the podcast. Thanks for listening. Please do subscribe to us on Patreon or PayPal for those bonus contents. Throw a little numbers our way because we uh, we greatly appreciate it. It allows us to keep doing the show. One of our favorite numbers at the show is six, and that just happens to be the same amount of United States dollars that you can donate to us on Patreon to get bonus content, monthly Google Hangouts, access to a secret Facebook group, and probably other things. You know, more things we're working on. And also, uh, basic fundraising competency would encourage me to not mention that there's some people in the world who actually live on just $6 a day. <laughs> not us, though. It takes a lot more. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we we couldn't. If I was making $6 a day, I would die. I would, like, have to... Cost of living in Vancouver is such that that's unfeasible. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We're sorry. Please tell us what it is. Unagi <laughs> is a state of total awareness. Okay? Only by achieving... Uh, hello? Hey, brother. It's oh, Sean. Sean. Sean, hi. Hey, uh, so I was thinking, man, how about you, uh, I kind of want to talk to you. Do you want to come up to my two and a half million dollar bachelor condo in the heart of Wrongtown? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll always come when you ask the bus right now. It'll probably take me an hour to get there. No, no, I'll just uh, text me the address. I'll send a car. Oh, that'd be great. I mean, usually you make me take the bus, but yeah, it's really nice. It's convenient. Yeah, it's no problem, bro. I, I've always got your back. So yeah, just text me that address. And I'll see you soon. Okay, thanks. Bye. Uh, hey, Raymond, I, I know I said I would help clean up around here, but Sean wants to meet me down at his bachelor condo. So I just I'm heading out. Uh, there's a car out front that. Oh, there it is. The car, the honk. I hope you enjoyed the lasagna. Are Thanks. you going to be able to clean later when you come back? Like, can I leave the dishes? Are these going to be taken care of? Yeah, definitely. Leave them. I'll, I'll do them when I get back. I promise on my word as a wrong brother. Going down the stairs, up to the car. Oh, they're opening the door for me. Well, thank you. This is a nice car. 
It's a little fridge. Can I drink this? I can. Great. <laughs> that napkin dispenser has $100 bills in it. Whoa. That's wild. I can just take these, right? Anything. Anything back here is okay to use. It's wild. Oh, brother, I'm glad you're here. Oh, I, I see you used the uh, frozen yogurt machine in the car. What? How can you tell? Oh, it's on my mustache. Oh, I forgot to wipe it off. Yeah, don't mm. worry about it. You can use one of those bills. Yeah, I did get them from the napkin dispenser. That's great. I That's love what that they're card. for. That's what they're for. Don't spend them on anything else. I'm just feeling relaxed right now. Anyway, what did you want to see me about? Well, okay, listen. I just got back from uh, Treasure Island, sort of right. one of the richest paradises in the world, um, hanging yeah. out, bumping elbows with some of the richest, the biggest and the best, brightest, richest. The richest. I've been hanging out with the richest. I heard the richest man in BC. Alistair Real was in Wrongtown last week. Yeah, yeah, I was. I spent actually quite a bit of time with him because we're now peers. But I don't know. The more I spent time with those guys, you know, I was trying to impress them and just started feeling this isn't me. This isn't what I'm about. There's this. I want to say heartlessness there. Mm, that, right. I, uh, that really yeah. makes my skin crawl when mm -hmm. I look at that that type of wealth. And I was like, I'm above that. I, I, that's not me. That's not who I want to be. And that's not who my dad wants me to be with the money. Um, and so I realized, I was thinking about what you said about the irradiated shantytown. Um, yeah. And so I, what I'd like to do is put aside a few million dollars, <gasps> hire you without a resume to help clean up shantytown, make it not irradiated anymore, um, move oh the God. vagrants out, and then build luxury condos. I'll make you a property manager of those condos. You'll be able to make your own first million. So I want to try to bring you up to my level. Uh, instead of just giving you a handout, I'm going to give you a hand up. You know, dad was right to trust you with the inheritance because you're doing the right thing. I think this so. Is... I think it was right to not split it even. <laughs> We've always wanted to clean up that irradiated shanty town mm -hmm. and letting me do it without a resume is such an honor. Well, you're my brother. I would give you any high-powered position if I had the power to. Even Thank without you. a Thank Even you. without an interview or resume. And we can make money the good old-fashioned way through property speculation. Are you with yeah, me? Definitely. I'm so excited to make my first million. I'm seeing the goal in front of me and I know it's possible and you're helping make it possible. You know, I just can't thank you enough and I can't look up to you enough and mm -hmm. see you as so benevolent and yeah. like wonderful. And I just, oh. It's true about me. And I think in a way, you're kind of luckier than me because I mean, not only do you get to actually earn your first million all over again, which I'd be so jealous to try, I still remember when I first heard my first million. I've even oh, yeah, got a tape too. of it. Yeah. Is this legally binding? It's 100% legally binding. Not only that, but you have such an inspiring role model that, I mean, I haven't had since dad passed away. So even though dad passed away, you still get to keep the role model aspect, you're which not, I've lost. You're right. I am luckier than you. Yeah, I have the responsibility to lead, and you have the sort of the burden privilege. to leave, and you've oh. got the privilege of following me to your first million. You know what? Well, I'm ready to walk down that path. Uh, do you want to start living in one of these luxury condos I've purchased? Could I? Yeah, I've got one in this building that you could use. I'd live rent-free while we pay you to clean up that uh, shanty town. That would be great. And like, I hate to ask, but if I'm going to be going to the shanty town every day, I don't want to take the bus. Yeah, and company I don't vehicle, no problem. Thank you. Yeah, Thank no you. problem. <laughs> what are brothers for? Ask. You just um, oh, but, and you were staying somewhere, right? Do you need to go back there to finish anything? 
No, no, no. They'll probably be glad to be rid of me, to be honest. He's got kids. He's got to make okay. dinner and do everything. Perfect. There's no reason for me to go back there at all. I'll just, they can keep the clothes that are on the floor. It's so like, yeah, no yeah. reason to go back? No reason. I can't think okay, of one. Okay, cool. So we'll just move on and just never mention it again? Yep. Okay, Sounds cool. Great. Cool. Sweet. I'm wrong. You're wrong. She's wrong. He's wrong. I'm wrong. Next time on Seriously Wrong. Yet more unpaid domestic labor from Aaron's friend who gave him lasagna for free and let him stay on his couch when he needed help.